Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. My name is Calvin. Uh, I'm the associate pastor here at Shaw Church. And just to sort of ring on what Janelle was saying as well, it's just so good to be together as, as Fano this morning. Great to have you here. I'm really looking forward to where we're kind of going uh, with this series. I think we're just going to truck up that title, title uh, slide in a minute. Yeah, there you go. Um, <clears throat> why don't I just pray um, and, uh, and then we'll dive into things, okay? Lord, we want to make ourselves uh, open and available to the movement of your Spirit this morning. We ask that you would draw near, that you would come close to each one of us, that you would captivate our hearts once more, that you would reinvigorate us, re-inspire us. Would we come to know more this morning the depths of your love and your grace and your joy and your peace? Spirit, come. Spirit, come. We make ourselves available and open to the work that you want to do in us and through us this morning. Amen. Amen. So we, if you are visiting, uh, we are doing a series at the moment called Transmission. We have been working through uh, various parts of Paul's mission, um, mission journeys in the book of Acts. And we've really been doing that through this, through this lens or this question, you know, how do we pick up our own story where Paul lets off? It's been a fantastic series. Um, and so this is actually the second to last week. So if you are visiting, you're kind of coming coming on the kind of tail end a little bit, but don't worry. I think that there'll be something, something in it for you. But if you have missed anything and you want to listen to some of the other messages, uh, you can go to svc.org.nz slash transmission. All the podcasts are up on there of all the messages. Um, we've also been doing this, this really cool thing where Vic, we kind of released Vic to go and be a journalist again because at his heart, that's kind of just what he really wants to do, you know? Um, and so we, we, we sent him to go and just interview different people in our church about what mission looks like in their everyday lives. Um, and so he sat down um, with people from all different walks of life, different vocations, different occupations, like just different things, hearing what it looks like to embody mission, uh, to embody the gospel and what they say and what they do in their everyday lives. Uh, this week, just been, he interviewed uh, David DeVette and Cameron Stewart, who are both business owners looking to incorporate the gospel into the way that they do their businesses. Um, so it's really interesting. So if, you, if you've missed those, they're also available on the website as well. Really recommend you check them out. Um, it's been a really worthwhile time. Uh, This evening, I want to invite you, if you want to, come back to church. We've got Makarita. Uh, She is going to be sharing uh, the next part of our transmission series, so check that out. Um, Yeah, yeah, we'll give her a chance. Is she even here? Hey, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, when the pastors are kind of doing it, it's just, you know, kind of ho-hum, right? But when, but when, when one of us does it, it's pretty exciting. So, yes, so... uh, so do get along, check that out, or if you're just too lazy, watch it on Facebook Live. Um, 
you know, because we'll probably do that as well. Uh, yeah, or just podcast it on your way to work this week. Um, that would be a good thing to do. Um, so we've been working through uh, all of these uh, missional journeys. We find ourselves this week in Paul's third missionary journey, uh, which runs sort of between Acts 18 and Acts, uh, Acts 20, uh, Acts 21. Um, and we, particularly this morning, are going to be focusing on Acts 19. And if I get to use my little laser thing, we're going to be uh, in and around uh, Ephesus just a little bit there. So it's going to be very exciting. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to be working with verses 1 through to 22. Um, and I'm, I'm reading from uh, N.T. Wright's version, so it's going to look a little bit different. I like to think of the way he writes as sort of somewhere between the ESV translation and somewhere between the message translation. And who does that mean like absolutely nothing to? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you guys are all with me. Right on. There you go. Very exciting. Anyway, but if you've got an NLT or an NIV or a King James, um, I, well, it doesn't matter, right? But you should be able to track with me just a little bit, and uh, we'll see what this has in store for us this morning. Uh, so Acts 19, verses 1 to 10. Uh, while Apollos was in Corinth, uh, Paul traveled through the interior regions and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We had not heard, they replied, that there was a Holy Spirit. Well then, said Paul, into what were you baptized? Into John's baptism, they replied. John baptized with a baptism of repentance for the people, said Paul, speaking about the one who was to come after him and saying that that person would be the one uh, that people should believe in, and that means Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul then laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul then went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them were hard-hearted and wouldn't believe and made wicked allegations about the way in front of everybody else, Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and argued every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He did this for two years so that all the inhabitants of Asia, Jews and Greeks alike, heard the word of the Lord. Okay, so Luke, who's writing, uh, who's writing Acts, uh, sees it as a pretty important thing to, to start Paul's visit in Ephesus with an emphasis on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Like this seems like a significant point that he wants to make. And so, so that's what we see happening right here. Before we kind of get into this is how long he was there and this is what he was doing. The first thing that we see is this, is this story of encounter, of breakthrough of the Holy Spirit uh, into these people's lives. Okay, let's just, let's just frame a little bit about what's actually going on here because this is, this is quite an important moment. Paul in his mission, in this particular mission trip, has just been, has been kind of spending a few days or a couple of weeks in each place. So Paul spent a day or two in each of the Galatian churches. He stayed a few days in Philippi, a few weeks in Thessalonica, a day or two in Baroa, a few days in Athens. Then he goes and spends 18 months in Corinth. All right, so he's starting to, you know, he's really investing in the community. And so now we kind of get to this point as almost like a climax to his, to his missional work. Um, he ends up in one of the major centers of the Mediterranean world, which is Ephesus, right? Now, uh, I've been to Ephesus before. Uh, there's not much left there now. It's mostly just, just rubble and ruins. Absolutely incredible place to visit. But back then, it was a thriving hub of activity. 
Um, it, was basically, it was basically like a trade center. It was a port city. There were people from all different uh, religions and cultures. There was all kinds of trade going on. Um, it was a place of sort of deep political power uh, and influence. There's a whole bunch of things going on. So this is an important context. Paul certainly sees Ephesus as a significant place within which the gospel needs to, needs to do some work. Right? Ephesus is an important place to be investing. And so it's full of culture, money, temples. Um, there's soldiers walking around. There's merchants. There's slaves. So there's all kinds of sort of uh, difference in status between all, all these different people. Right? It's a very sort of diverse, eclectic, um, uh, I don't know, not a particularly healthy space, uh, sort of spiritually uh, uh, or socially. Um, but there's also a lot of like sort of vibrant little things going on. And in particular, there is, a, there is this sort of this movement of the gospel beginning to take place in this space. So there's not just this social and civic power, but there's also this religious and spiritual power that exists in this space. And so like I was saying, like Paul, uh, sorry, Luke uses this particular moment in Acts, in Acts 19 um, to introduce Paul's work in the area and particularly to demonstrate the importance uh, of the Spirit's powerful work in individuals' lives as well as in the wider community. And so I think that's why, that's why Luke kind of emphasizes it with this little story, with this encounter that Paul has um, with these disciples. Now, what's really interesting is so Paul arrives and he encounters these disciples, and uh, they've heard the story of, of John the Baptist. They've kind of become about this thing. They've received this baptism in the water. But it's almost like we don't really know how they got to their sort of theological framework or their paradigm. But it seems to, seems to me, or it seems like to a lot of readers, they, they, they don't fully understand the Jesus part of the story. If they did, they might have thought of him as some sort of prophet of the same kingdom of God that, that John was talking about. They might just not have been on the same page in particular. And so when Paul says, hey, have you been baptized in the Spirit? They're like, man, what is this? What is the Spirit thing you're talking about? They just... They just don't quite. They just don't quite get it. They kind of. They've kind of got half the story, right? And you can kind of imagine, two thousand years ago, there's no internet. There's no sort of like checklist, right? There's no Apostles' Creed even. There's been no councils. There's been no formal church institution. There's no way of like regulating how the gospel is being communicated and passed between cities. It's just kind of like Chinese whispers at this point. And so there are bits of information that get to particular religious groups uh, and bits of information that don't get to them. And so Paul seems to encounter this group of people who are fascinated, um, deeply captivated by this concept of the inbreaking kingdom of God and have seen some sort of importance in going through a baptism of repentance. But somewhere, somehow, they seem to have missed the Jesus element of the story, which might, which might be quite an important part, you know? It, it is, right? <laughs> there was only like six people who laughed. I was like, oh my goodness. This is news to everyone. The good news of Jesus, guys, we're changing tack, right? No, so it seems important for Paul. It's like, man, no, you've, you've got to understand that, the, that this Holy Spirit thing, this embracing of the kingdom of God, this Jesus thing, this is what really matters. So for Paul... An encounter of the Holy Spirit is of deep, deep importance. It's like this, this is something that, that needs to happen, that, that needs to take place. You see this all through Paul's letters. 
And in particular, even in his earlier letters, and it's like, you know, I think, I think a few weeks ago, Stanley did a really good job of talking about Paul almost working his theology out and beginning to develop it. And in the earlier letters that we have, we see this emphasis that Paul, Paul places on encountering, encountering the Spirit. Uh, if you look at uh, Ephesians here, Ephesians 1.19, um, I pray that you may know the surpassing greatness of his energy upon us who believe according to the working of the strength of his power. Ephesians 3.16, may God grant you according to the riches of his glory that you may be strengthened with all energy through his Spirit. Ephesians 3.20, to him who has the capability to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the energy that is working in us. Uh, be energetic in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Uh, Colossians 1.11, may you be given energy according to the strength of his glory. The Spirit seems to empower and energize the, the, the spread of the gospel, the communication of the way. It's like, it's, it's, it's the, the life force, the energy, the, the fuel in the tank. Right? It's, make, it's, it's helping drive and, and, and power this thing forward. It's the power of the Spirit that's making this thing happen. It's like, this is his emphasis. You, and he's saying to these guys, you need to have this. This needs to be part of, of who you are and what you're doing in order to, to really press into this whole idea of the kingdom of God, to know what the way is about. You, you need the Spirit of God. You, you need it to be driving what you're doing. So Paul deeply cares about this. What's really interesting as well, and this is just a slight side note, but, you know, Paul spends this sort of two years in Ephesus doing ministry, and, um, and we, don't, we don't fully know what happens during this whole two-year period, but we, we kind of suspect that, you know, definitely during this, this time he's, he's, he's arrested, um, he, he endures some kind, of, some kind of really significant hardships. But as you look at some of his later letters, he begins to talk about still about the power of, of the Spirit, but, but he talks about it in, in relationship even to his own weakness, right? So it's like he's obviously endured sometime during this two-year period horrific hardships that have just meant that he's not just talking about the Spirit energizing him, but that he, he has this reliance on the Spirit. And so we see this coming through in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 9. Um, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. This is him talking about his time in Ephesus. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It's like, you know, it's like, oh man, it's like we're ready to give up, give up on life. But we, but we, de- we develop this resilience and this reliance on the Spirit of God. And so there's this, there's this thing of like learning to, to trust the Spirit, to trust God in His weakness, in His dark points, in the valleys of His life, right? And so this Spirit thing is just so important for Paul, recognizing for him, he longs to see people recognize that the Spirit empowers and guides and leads and restores and does all this sort of stuff, but also that it, that it actually strengthens us and emboldens us within and through our own weaknesses. And so this is what he's trying to communicate. So this whole thing of the Holy Spirit, it really matters to Paul. His emphasis is that we must tap into and be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to carry the gospel to the world around us. That is his deep deep emphasis. And for me, I think this actually raises a couple of questions, because I'm actually not sure we've, we've gone in depth in this kind of stuff in church in a while. 
But there are a couple of questions that come to mind for me. And it's this, what is the Holy Spirit and what is spirit baptism? I suspect we all have some sort of idea, but if we got into some sort of discussion, I think a lot of people in this room would say very different things. Because we know it's something we need. I think there's probably, there's probably a few heads kind of nodding. Yeah, of course, Calvin. The Spirit empowers and it leads and we need it, you know? I'm sure everyone's kind of nodding heads, but it's like, man, what is it that we're actually talking about? So I want to just spend a little bit of time before we dive into this, the next part of Acts. I actually want to explore these questions just a little bit. A little crash course in pneumatology, if you will, right? Pneumatology, the theology of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there are people who give their lives to this sort of stuff, you know? I'm not necessarily one of them, so, right? But, we'll, but we'll, we're going we're gonna to just try and do a real crash course on this because, because I think the way we think about the Spirit actually actually really matters and informs how we respond to it, how we pray for people, um, and how we are aware of it in our own lives as we look to embody the gospel in what we say and what we do. So what is the Holy Spirit? This is the question of pneumatology. Um, In the scriptures, there are two words that come through uh, about what the Holy Spirit is. Uh, In the Old Testament, we have this word ruach. Does everyone want to say that? Ruach? Ruach. It's fun to say, eh? Yeah, and the word ruach means breath. Breath and spirit are completely interchangeable. Ruach means spirit. Ruach means breath. Ruach means the the manifest presence and and, and power of God. And in the Old Testament, it it is sort of, it hovers over creation, but it's also within and through creation. It's a a both and thing. And then... uh, in the New Testament, we have this word in Greek, pneuma. Everyone say pneuma. It's fun to say as well, isn't it? Translated, that means breath. Pneuma means spirit. Pneuma means the manifest power and presence of God. Uh, so these words are the same thing, and this is what we're talking about. What's really interesting to me is that because of our Western worldview, we have what's called sort of a, a, a Platonic understanding of the real and the spiritual. And so that's like, we have this idea that the real is here and the spiritual is up there somewhere. And every time we pray, we kind of have to like punch through. That's, that's just kind of like what we're soaked in. That's kind of how our, our culture's been shaped over thousands of years. We are very influenced by this Greco-Roman worldview. But Christianity and Judaism come out of a different way of thinking, a different way of perceiving. It comes out of the East, an Eastern worldview, which actually sees uh, uh, what is real and what is spiritual existing in duality with each other. So there's, it's like the lines are very blurred. And this becomes a really hard thing for us to understand, even when we look at different scriptures, because actually different scriptures can be read in, in different ways on, on either side, both through a Western lens or through an Eastern lens. And so I think that there's a couple things to, to just be aware of. In the Genesis creation narrative, which I think is, is, is hugely important, um, God shapes humanity out of the dust and then breathes his ruach, his breath, into us, right? This is the, humans are the only creatures that have this, this sort, of, this sort of relationship. We are commissioned, and the assumption of this creation is that we live as uh, divine image bearers. We reflect 
uh, and embody the glory of God. This is, this is the commission on humanity. So we are, we are dust. We are, we are shaped um, like all of creation and sort of created out of nothing. And then we have the breath of God breathed into us, unlike sort of any other part of creation. And so there is this, there is this interesting thing that we, that the assumption really of this story is that humans have the Holy Spirit, right? There is no second spirit. There is no other spirit. Ruach, the spirit, is the third person of the Trinity. Ruach exists hovering over creation and within creation and, 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 and is breathed into humanity, is the breath that is humanity, right? So there is this, there is this duality. Humanity is both and. So this becomes a really tricky thing when we talk about receiving the Holy Spirit or we read scriptures about receiving the Spirit. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? Or when we even have these scriptures like, you know, oh, I will send the helper. I will, you know, I will send the Spirit who will help you. That becomes a difficult thing because it's like, because the question becomes, well, do we receive something different? Is that a, is that a, a different Spirit? And I think it becomes deeply problematic if you say, yes, it is a different spirit, because then we start, we're starting to wrestle with Trinitarian stuff. It just starts to get a little bit complex. And I know I'm kind of, kind of messes with the head a little bit, but it's really important for us to think about this, that, that, that we, we live with the Ruach of God uh, inside of us. This is what it means to be created. This is what it means to be human. And so I think... As my theology has kind of developed over the years, I think the most helpful way of understanding this is that particularly when you, when you come to know God or when you, when, you be, when you step into a relationship with Him, I think what develops is an awareness of what Paul would call the indwelling Christ, the Spirit of God within each one of us. And the Spirit of God is the one that prompts, leads, and guides us in the rhythms of a Jesus-like life. I think that's what this is about. So it's not so much about this thing that is far away that suddenly is like, bang, like just in our lives. It's just, it's in our lives through like a, through like a, new, a new awareness. Are you guys tracking with me a little bit? Because, you know, this is, these are actually kind of tricky things for us to think about. So I think that's, that's an important thought about the Holy Spirit, which then brings up this other question then of what, what is spirit baptism? Because we are talking about this thing that feel, you know, with the kind of language, which to be honest, I think is very helpful language for us, but I just don't necessarily think it's very helpful theology to think of it as this sort of separate thing that then comes in. So how do we think about spirit baptism? What is it exactly that we think about? So before I kind of get into my next little drawing, because I worked on these slides, um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a whole bunch, once again, within pneumatology, there's a whole bunch of diverse views around what spirit baptism actually is that have taken shape over the years. And so within an Orthodox or Catholic church, they would talk about spirit baptism as being part of a, a sacramental initiation. Uh, within the Reformed tradition, so the thinking that was sort of being developed in the sort of 1500s, 1600s, um, they developed this idea of, of, of regeneration. So this comes out of the Reformed tradition. It's like you are regenerated into like a new version of humanity. Um, and then uh, sort of through the, through the 19th and 20th centuries, we see uh, the Pentecostal and charismatic movements really develop uh, this theology around the that, that spirit baptism is the empowerment for witness and vocation. 
And so you'll see, particularly through the 20th century, this kind of develop in a couple waves until we hit the 1980s, which is when the vineyard churches kind of became a thing. And they were a part of a movement called uh, the third wave of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so the third wave uh, sort of theology, the third wave of understanding things, um, they stress that the preaching of the gospel uh, following the sort of New Testament pattern should be accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. And so they believe that all Christians are baptized with the Holy Spirit at conversion, but that they prefer to call subsequent experiences um, as filling of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's like this, this way of thinking about things, it's like every single time we encounter the Holy Spirit, that's like, it's like filling the tank, Right? And so I think that that is, once again, very, very helpful language for us. But I don't think it's, like, it's particularly helpful theology because I think we run up against problems when we think about that, that, that uh, story of us being divine image bearers, you know, filled with the Ruach. So it's like we've, we've, got, to, we've got to wrestle with that a little bit. So I think, so I think the next way of, of, of maybe just sort of helpfully thinking about what spirit baptism is or what I think it is is, is that I think it's more of like an unquenching Right? Let me develop this a little bit. Here's a picture of a car. Okay? And I've kind of highlighted there uh, roughly where the engine would be and roughly where a fuel tank would be. Okay? If you're a mechanic, don't correct me on it. Okay? It's just, you'll miss the point, you know? <laughs> but what often happens is I think our, our, our sort of Western approach to thinking about these things is if I need to encounter the Spirit, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we think about that as sort of putting just, just God kind of putting the, the petrol nozzle into the tank, right? And just, oh, I'll give you a little top up, you know? I don't think that's particularly helpful. I think a better way of thinking about it is actually, actually freeing up the fuel line. So if you think about it, any Marvel fans here, Iron Man fans, that little thing in his chest, the arc generator, that's like just unlimited power, okay? That's the, that's the concept behind that thing that he has in his chest. Unlimited power, never runs out. That's kind of like what we have in the Holy Spirit. But all of these things happen in our lives where actually the fuel line between the, the, the petrol tank and the engine get cut off. There are things going on. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit. Right? So if you imagine just like a giant hand reaching up into that fuel line and just clamping it down, bang. If no fuel gets to an engine, can the car go? Uh, who said unless it's a hybrid? It's not a hybrid. So these subsequent fillings that we sort of talk about within the Vineyard Church, these, these experiences of entering into the Holy Spirit, I kind of think of them as like a way of like just, it's kind of like cleaning out the fuel line once again. And I think maybe the first time we, we encounter God or we, or we step into the story, we, we step into a relationship with God, it's like, it's just like, it's, it's a complete unclogging of this thing that was kind of always there, but we, but we weren't able to recognize it or we weren't able to tap into it or anything, but it's this... It's this restoration towards, towards what you were always supposed to be. So I think spirit baptism, and I sort of say this humbly because it's like pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, and all this, it's a complex thing. There's many different opinions of it. 
but I sort, of, I sort of say this humbly, but I think what it is, is that it, at its simplest, is it is an awakening to this awareness that we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that we can, that we can uh, enter into dialogue and we can look for the promptings of the Spirit. And we are empowered to move forward and carry and embody the gospel story in, in, in every aspect of our lives. And I, th- I think spirit baptism is like a, it's, it's a reawakening to, to that awareness. It's a, it's a clearing out of the full fuel line. And so, like I said, Paul talks about this as, you know, for him, the spirit baptism is incredibly important, fundamental to the, to the progression of the gospel. And so why is this important? Because it is the power of the Spirit that then paves the way for the gospel, as we're about to find out as we move into Acts 19. So sorry to just give you guys a big crash course in that. But I don't know. If there's lots of questions, we can chat about it later. But we find ourselves now in Acts 19, 11 to 22, just carrying on a little bit. Um, God performed unusual works of power through Paul's hands. People used to take handkerchiefs or towels that had touched his skin and put them on the sick, and then their diseases would leave them and evil spirits would depart. There were some traveling Jewish exorcists. Man, imagine if that was like your stick, right? Like, yeah, we're going to, oh, anyway. <clears throat> Just touring the countryside, you know, a couple of Jewish exorcists um, <clears throat> who tried to use the name of Jesus on people with evil spirits. I command you, they used to say, in the name of Jesus, the one Paul proclaims. There were seven of them who used to do this. They were the sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest. But on one occasion, the evil spirit answered them back, I know Jesus, it shouted, and I'm well acquainted with Paul, but who are you? The man who had the evil spirit pounced on them and said, and since he was much too strong for them, overpowered all of them so that they uh, fled out of the house naked and battered. This became common knowledge among both Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. Fear came on all of them and they praised the name of the Lord Jesus. Many people who became believers came forward to make public confession, revealing what they'd been up to. Some who had been practicing magic brought their books and burnt them in front of everyone. Someone calculated how much they were all worth, and it came to 50,000 silver pieces. So the word grew and was strong in accordance with the Lord's power. Once all this had been finished, Paul decided in his spirit to go back through Macedonia and Archaea and from there on to Jerusalem. After I'd been there, he said, I'll have to go and see Rome. And he sent two of his helpers, sorry, just getting a bit warm up here, Timothy and Erastus, on ahead to Macedonia while he himself spent a little more time in Asia. So Luke kind of carefully, carefully uh, picks up and, and uses this story to point towards the power of what the Spirit's up to. It's like, man, all the landscape is shifting and changing now. When the Spirit's at work, things are going to get shut down that aren't of God. And so we have this interesting story of these sort of traveling Jewish exorcists. It says that they were the sons of Sceva, this Jewish high priest. He wasn't part of the official Jewish institution. We know that he, because we have records of that. So he wasn't official. It was some sort of weird like Jewish pagan mix-up. So they're trying to do this thing, and they're like, oh, we can just use that name, and then we can do this thing. It's a, that's a, a nifty trick, right? We can heal people. How nifty would that be? But it's like, no, it's, it's, that's revealed as false. It's like, no, you haven't actually tapped in. You're missing the point of this. Because the point is God at work redeeming humanity, doing something deeply powerful. And it can't just be, it can't just be words that are spoken. It's got to be empowered by the Spirit. So the Spirit is power. This is what Luke is trying to point us towards. This is what, this is what Paul is doing. When you are empowered by the Spirit, this is why he's talking about 
Paul is so invested at this point. He's almost so in touch with it. It's like everything he does, even the, even the materials that he touches, seem to be, have a lingering sense of the presence and the power of God in them. It's a pretty, pretty phenomenal story, right? Uh, N.T. Wright says this, This gospel does indeed provide power, but it is not magic. Magic attempts to gain power without paying the price of humble submission to the God, uh, to the God who is power, not whose power. I'm not a details person. <clears throat> to, to the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the God who is power. So as we've seen from Paul, through his letters, through, the, through all of his mission trips, what does he de- develop? This humility, this awareness of the presence of God, the importance of the Spirit, the role it plays in, in, in redemption and in the spreading of the gospel. We see this. And when does he say it's at its strongest? When he's at his weakest. So there's this humble submission that starts this whole thing. It's not just a magic trick. It's not just this thing that can just be sort of spoken out. And we'll, oh, we'll just say the same thing that Paul does. No, it springs out of this deep humility. And so we see this all through the story. And there is that sort of really bold, emphatic statement that we see in verse 20. You know, the word of God grew and was strong in accordance with the power of the Lord. It's like, this is, this is what Luke is trying to like point us towards. You know, it's like, this thing's happening. And it is powered and it is driven by the Holy Spirit. And so this, this city, Ephesus, which was a center of power, whether it was magic power, political power, religious power, all of Paul's ministry, everything that's happening in this trip and in his time there demonstrates that the power of the name of the Lord Jesus was stronger than all of them. The power of the Spirit is stronger than anything else. N.T. Wright says this, there must be nothing secondhand about the Spirit's power when you are faced with the powers of the world. Nothing secondhand. So it's all well and good to kind of unpack a a bunch of theology and to look at what Paul does. But we have to be able to ask the question, what's in it for us? And I think, I think for us this morning, I think, I think we can, we can draw on a couple of things that we see. This is what the Spirit does, and this is what the Spirit brings for us. I think, first of all, as I look at the stories, I see, I see that the Spirit brings revelation. The revelation can be of corrupt. Uh, political or powerful systems around it or religious systems. So it's a revelation of, of, of how wrong or how broken or how fractured those things are. But it also brings a revelation of who God is and what the power of God is and what it does in people's lives. I think the Spirit, spirit brings restoration. We particularly see this. Anytime someone is, 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 is delivered from an evil spirit in the Scriptures or receives healing, like this is restoration. It's socially restorative. It's relationally restorative, right? And there's this, there's this, this, this element of forgiveness and of connection. You know, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's like it's a restoration to right standing with God. So there is the Spirit brings restoration. And I think the Spirit brings transformation of people's lives because you get the sense every single time something like this happened. People's lives were never the same again. Earlier in Acts 19, those, those disciples who knew the way of John but didn't know the way of Jesus yet, it's like they, they, stayed, they stayed with Paul the whole time. They stayed with him while he preached in the synagogue, and then they went with him when he re- went and preached in the hall of Tyrannus. You know, like, it's like, oh, we want to be a part of this thing. We want to be about it. The Spirit brings transformation. And so all of that, 
I say because I think it is imperative that we have moments of this spirit baptism, these moments of reconnection or, or re-encountering once more the power of God's Spirit in our lives. It's, like, it's an important thing. Why? Because we know from the story that, that we, just, we kind of fade without it, that it becomes a harder thing to, to be about, to, to carry in the way we work or in the way we study or in the way that we do relationships, anything that becomes, becomes harder or becomes non-existent. It's like we need, we need the Spirit of God that empowers and guides and shapes this restoration and revelation and transformation. Like we need that. It's imperative that we have moments like that. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.